Our third scripture lesson this morning is the entire letter to Philemon, verses 1 through 25. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God, because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ Be with your spirit. The word of God for the people of God. So at first glance, this letter to Philemon is an odd choice for inclusion in the New Testament canon. Unlike most of Paul's letters, there's no extended explanation of some theological concept. It also seems to be relevant to only two people in particular, 
Onesimus, a slave who has found his way to Paul, and Philemon, the owner of Onesimus. So why include this letter alongside lengthier texts like Romans or more universal texts like Galatians? Well, for one thing, even the earliest commenters seem to acknowledge that this was a genuine letter written by Paul. This merited at least some consideration for its preservation. But that alone can't be enough, right? We know that there are letters written by Paul that didn't make it into our final collection of scriptures that got lost or abandoned somewhere along the way. So could it be that there's greater theological depth and relevance than we get from a cursory look at this letter? So let's begin by considering the relevant audience of this letter. Yes, it's written to Philemon, and the subject is Onesimus. So in a very immediate sense, those are the two people most impacted by this letter and the request that it contains. But we also see that Paul mentions greeting to Apphia, to Archippus, and to the church in Philemon's house, meaning that this was not merely a private letter between one servant of Christ to another. This is a letter which contains instructions that impact the larger community. The way that Philemon responds to this letter is a matter of public record for the whole church. And so Paul invites the whole community to keep Philemon accountable for his behavior. This accountability is likely even more significant given that Philemon is clearly a member of the community with above average means. He's powerful enough that he owns at least one slave in Philemon, but also owns a house that can serve as a meeting place for the rest of the community. Given Philemon's status in the church, it's likely that he's not used to being held accountable for his actions. The church has likely been too worried about losing his patronage to hold him accountable. At one point while I was in seminary, there was an effort on our campus to get the administration to commit to protecting the rights of immigrants and refugees within our community. Other Methodist seminaries examined their policies to see what they could do and they issued statements about their solidarity with immigrants. Ohio Wesleyan University, also located in Delaware and home to the 11th largest international student body per capita among liberal arts colleges, announced that they would stand with the immigrants in their community. Ohio State University made a similar commitment. In truth, this didn't seem a radical request for an administration that has an anti-racism task force and had publicly supported the Black Lives Matter movement. Yet, when pushed on this issue, the administration of the Methodist Theological School in Ohio suddenly became noticeably silent. There was concern that some of our most prolific donors would be upset by any statement on immigration and refugees. We were assured that these donors believed in the right of the school to say and do whatever it needed to do to be committed to the work of God's justice. But somehow, at the same time, we could only do that so long as it agreed with what our wealthy donors believed.
This must have been the same position that Philemon's church was in. They could do what Christ called them to do so long as Philemon was kept happy. And so Paul invites the whole community into this request for accountability. He wants everyone to know that as far as he is concerned, Onesimus is not just a slave, but a beloved brother. Indeed, Paul goes so far as to call Onesimus his son, who is his own heart. Then Paul says to Philemon, If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. In other words, Philemon, if you think of yourself as part of this Christian family, then you better treat each of those in your own house with the same love and kindness that you would show to me. And Paul, he may tell Philemon that he isn't commanding him to do his duty, but he also isn't leaving him much wiggle room either. His appeal based on love is an appeal rooted in a love that has consequences. It's an appeal to the kind of love that recognizes that we can't love someone and then ignore the harm that we're doing to them. It's the kind of love that inspires us to be better to the people around us, not just for their sake, but for our own. It's the kind of love that makes us more fully human by holding us accountable to the things that we claim to believe. Philemon claims to be a follower of Christ, the same Christ who announced his public ministry by proclaiming release to the captives. So, if Philemon truly loves Christ, how can he continue to hold others in captivity? And really, when we look at what Paul says to Philemon, we see that the choice is not much of a choice. It's the same kind of a choice that a parent gives to a child right before laying a guilt trip on them. Paul says to Philemon, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me even your own self. In other words, look, Philemon, if you think that you're owed something for granting Onesimus his freedom, then I will repay it. Not to mention the fact that you wouldn't even have your freedom in Christ if it wasn't for me. Or in another context, oh, you're too busy to call your parents? Good thing we weren't too busy to give you food, clothes, and a place to live. And again, how much of a choice is Paul leaving Philemon when he says, I am not commanding you, but I am writing to you confident of your obedience. Or to close his remarks by saying, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping to see you soon. Hey Philemon, I trust that you're going to make the right choice and, oh by the way, I'm going to come visit you soon just to check up on you. At the end of the day, however, the choice really does belong to Philemon. Paul has no power to compel him to do what is right. Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell, so even his veiled threats to come check up on Philemon lose some of their sting. And this simple fact speaks to the very heart of the gospel. 
It speaks to the very nature of the God that we serve. We can be told what the right thing to do is. We can be threatened with judgment. But at the end of the day, God is not going to compel us into doing what is right. God is going to appeal to us on a basis of love. We'll be asked to love God and to love our neighbor, but we are made responsible for our salvation. We have to be the ones to respond to God's invitation. We don't know what choice Philemon made. We don't know if Paul's appeal worked. We don't know if Philemon freed Onesimus. But what we do know is that Philemon was given a choice. We know that his choice wasn't just a matter of his own salvation or of Onesimus' salvation, but it was a matter of the whole church. So maybe that's why Philemon made it into the canon, to remind us that we have choices to make about love and to remind us that the choices that we make have consequences for the entire church for God's mission in the world, and for the fulfillment of the kingdom. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God of love, keep us accountable to one another. Lead us to liberation through you and your holy church. Set us free from individualism, so that we can embody you through our interconnectedness. Amen.